I'm a savage. Yeah. Classy, bougie, ratchet. What's up, Savage Boss Babes and Dudes? It's Diana inside the Savage Studio. And once again, I'm bringing you a episode that you're going to have to turn up the volume and put your earbuds in, listen from start to finish, because this is going to be a good one, especially if you're trying to get motivated, you're trying to start some kind of a fitness journey, maybe you're trying to lose a few pounds, maybe you're trying to gain. But this, this guest that I have with me, I'm really excited because she is is going to share with us the importance of not only starting the journey, but also what you have to do to prepare yourself to get ready for that journey. So welcome, Cheyenne. Hello. Cheyenne. Maria. Maria. It sounds pretty when you say it like that. Cheyenne Maria. (laughs) Welcome. So you are a fitness coach. Yes. And influencer. Thank you very much. (laughs) I wouldn't say that, but yes. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Tell us about yourself. Where were you born? Where, Where were you raised? I was born in San Antonio, Texas. I was raised out in Castroville, Texas. Oh, nice. I went to school at Medina Valley. It's Medina Valley from elementary to high school. Very small school, very small town. Um, I don't know. You knew everybody. Everybody knew you. I loved growing up there. I wouldn't have changed my childhood at all. So it's you and do you have any siblings? Yes, I have two older siblings, a sister from when my dad, before my dad met my mom, a brother from my mom before she met my dad, and then it's me and my little brother that are fully biological. Did you guys all grow up together, or you guys um, kind of just saw each other? Yes and no. So my sister came and moved with us when she was, I think, nine or ten, and uh, my brother grew up with us. He actually moved out when he was 16. He was like, he's always been like a very independent young man. Yeah. <laughs> and then me and my little brother, of course, lived together. So what was it growing up in your household? Um, what were your parents like? Oh, This is very vulnerable for me. Um, (laughs) I grew up in a mobile home. Okay. And I hate to say this, but my parents were very dependent on alcohol. And my dad was in and out of jail until I was like in second grade. Then he kind of got his footing again. My mom, praise the Lord for her. She always made sure we had everything we needed. I always played sports and had everything I wanted for school. And I don't know. I've... I guess because of that, I've built my strong mindset and my very independent persona. Um, And so like me and my little brother, we're very, very different growing up. Um, He played video games and I was just like that outspoken extrovert. Um, So growing up, I did not have, I don't, I wouldn't say I had a bad childhood by any means. I had a very good childhood. I had everything I needed, wanted, played sports and uh, actually going to school, you would never know that I struggled with what I struggled with at home. My parents constantly fighting. Money was always an issue, alcohol, you know, um, and stuff like that. But I went to school and nobody knew. Nobody knew that I lived in a mobile home. Nobody knew that we were struggling. Nobody knew anything. I was friends with everybody because of that. I feel like I knew what I was battling at home. So I would go to school with this same mindset of like, I don't know what somebody's dealing with. So I was voted most popular in high school because I literally talked to everyone. I can see how that would happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> from the kid in the back of the classroom in Ms. Kirkpatrick's class that minded his own business, didn't talk to anybody, ROTC, banned. Um, I was an athlete myself, so I was, you know, in the mix, but I didn't have a specific table at lunch. I was wherever I wanted to be that day. Was it your purpose to hide that, what was going on at home, or it just kind of naturally, I think you were able to play it off? A little bit of both. I was partially embarrassed. Um, 
growing up in a mobile home wasn't like, I, you know, I pulled up to my other friends' houses and I was like, oh my gosh, they have such beautiful homes. And I was a little embarrassed. I'm not going to lie. Um, and a kid, being a kid, kids are judgmental. People made fun of me when they found out. Um, and it really hurt because it was like, I can't control that. It's not me that, you know, does this. I, I can't really help what my parents do. So why would you? It really hurt. But um, I didn't let it play. Like, I didn't become a victim to it. And my biggest, and I, I preach this, is I will never be a victim of my environment. I'm not a product of my environment. I'm a product of how I reacted to my environment. And there's a lot of pieces that go into that, but I just have a very strong mind and I will not allow myself to be a victim to really anything. How were you able to develop that mentality at such a young age? I have no idea. I was, um, I'm realizing now I was a self-soother as a kid. I would always write everything down and really debate with myself, like how to react to something. You were the one to keep a diary, journal, stuff like that? Journals, journals, journals. I was a writer as young as first and second grade. I will never forget. I had a teacher named Miss Collins and I was in a multi-age class. So like they put first and second grade together. First graders were there because they were you know, I was advanced learners. And then the second grade was there to kind of help. Like you were smart enough to help with the first graders. And she was so enamored with me, I guess, that she decided to move up to third grade when I moved up and she made sure I was in her class. And like my parents, like my mom worked a lot, but um, I'll never forget the teacher conference. She literally bought me all of these books on how to become an author. She's like, this little girl like is so gifted. She's reading at a 12th grade level in second grade. Um, the way she writes like is beyond her years. And I really wish I would have kept on with that because it was something I really enjoyed, but I think it was a coping mechanism more than anything for me. Um, so I don't know if it was just like teenage years, getting away, going out and doing stuff, hanging out with friends that, but writing, like it was an outlet for me. And if I let it out there, I didn't like it was dealt with. Was it rough going to school and putting on that persona of everything's good Uh, and then having to go back home and, and deal with what was going on at home? Um, I don't want to make it sound like my, like I went home and like dreaded going home because it wasn't awful. It was just like the weekends when I knew the weekends were there. I knew that's when that drinking would get really heavy and I knew there was going to be a fight. Uh, Your parents are Mexican? No, my dad is Hispanic and then my mom is white. Okay. So Hispanic, I mean, the weekends, that's usually... Party time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Carne asada. Barbecue everywhere. Barbecue everywhere. Yeah. So yeah, that's that that sounds about right. Yeah. So Friday, um, I was always the friend to go stay at friends' houses. Any chance I could get, I wanted to be away for a second. But I always felt bad because like my little brother... He had to stay behind because he was an introvert. He didn't really talk to people. He never wanted to leave. He was always on his video game. And anytime something would happen, I'd put his headphones on and just go to my room, mm-hmm. put on some music, watch Degrassi, write in my journal. So sports, writing, sports. I started, I think soccer, I was probably five or six, did soccer till about sixth grade because they didn't offer it at Medina Valley. It was just the youth soccer league. And then sixth or fifth grade, I started playing basketball. Absolutely loved it. Played basketball up until my eighth grade year and then volleyball up until my sophomore year. And then I started working. (laughs) I always wanted more, you know, um, I've always liked nice things. I've always wanted a better life than what I had. So I started working as soon as I could in the high school. I think my junior year, they have like a work program and I would leave early to go work. 
and make did that prevent you from uh, participating fully in sports yeah so it cut down, and I can identify with that because that yeah. that's exactly what happened with me I was in sports all up until I turned about 15 or 16 and then I got my first job and I didn't have time to go to practices yep. anymore or go away on tournaments or anything like that exactly what happened to me <laughs> <laughs> so you're you've always lived a active lifestyle since you were very young yes and I I have to be very transparent. I remember feeling like I was fat as early as second grade. Really? Yes. And I don't know what it was. My mom was never a woman that talked about her weight or anything. Like, I don't know why or where that came from. You don't from. know what that, uh, where that was triggered? No. By or? No, I have no idea. I can tell you when I was older, like fifth, sixth grade, it was definitely America's Next Top Model. <laughs> that told, like, I would watch Ty- Tyra tell those skinny, boned girls, you're too fat your shape, you're, you're not, you know, all of these things. And I would like, I remember not eating. Yeah. Not like anorexic, but it was like, Oh, I shouldn't have that. I should have this. You were hesitant, very hesitant. And at such a young age, like I, I pray that if I have a daughter, she doesn't struggle with that. I I just, I remember feeling like that. So self-conscious and I never let anybody know it ever. You would have thought I was the most confident person in the Mm -hmm. room, but I really struggled as a kid. I was never, obese I went through like a chunky phase I feel like every kid does but then I wasn't as petite as the other little girls or a thing just weird things that I compared myself to and if I could just go back and hug myself and tell myself like you're beautiful the way you are like it would have saved a lot of lack of self-confidence yeah I could have built that up a lot and as Latinas I mean we we're curvy (laughs) I wouldn't say I'm curvy but I was just always a bigger girl like I remember you know what I can actually say it was my tia Lena she had told me one time that I was a little gordita and I was like, I was probably 10, eight or 10. And you knew what she meant by that? Yes. I mean, I did have a little belly. I'd look down and I'd have a little <laughs> belly, but like, don't tell a kid that even like it's as innocent as it was. It, I think really hit me. Like you don't know how absorbent a child is. So I think, you know, and here's the thing. Sometimes people such as your aunt, or in my case, it was my mom who, Back in the day, she wouldn't do it with the intention to hurt me, obviously. Mm-hmm. she Her intention was completely the opposite. It was just not well put mm-hmm. or well said to me. Uh, but, for example, uh, my mom would, would tell me, we would go to the mall, because I grew up also... I was the the chunky one out of my group of friends. No. You know, everybody else was petite and, and thin, and I was I was always a little bit on the heavier side. And we would go to the mall and my mom would tell me, ay, mira, look at the, the, the monitas. They look so pretty with those clothes. If you could be skinny, I would buy you that kind of clothes. Yes. And she didn't know how damaging that yeah. was. And, and it was. It really, really hurt me. And then, this is the one that I always tell her. And then she's like, ay, pero ya, don't tell me anymore. <laughs> because we've already talked about it and, and we've moved past it. But yeah. so we were approaching, it's like the... I was like 13, 12 or 13 or something like that. We were approaching the time where you start getting ready for the quinceañera. Yeah. And she was like, no, mija, you're going to have to lose some weight or else I'm going to have to wrap you up in a, in a sheet. <gasps> Girl, oh, she killed me with that one. Especially at that age. I feel yeah. like I remember I never wanted to be, I don't even know what child sizes are, but I just remember... My favorite Mary Kate and Ashley shirt just it wouldn't button anymore, and I was <laughs> I wouldn't. T- <laughs> it really broke my heart, and I wore that thing until like the sleeves were right, supposed to be at my wrist, and they were coming up my forearm yeah. before I let that shirt go. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be bigger. I don't want to be bigger. 
<laughs> and of course, we've already talked about it with my mom and I've already explained to her and she already understands and, and, you know, why it was so damaging and why it was so hurt. And she's already apologized. Yeah. And now I know what not to do with my own daughter. How uh, I feel. I take things away from my childhood as like, I don't want to ever discredit my parents because they raised a very strong person. But there's things that I've seen and I remember that I'm like, I vow to myself not to do that or not to be like that. This is an example of what I don't want for myself. And so that's kind of yeah. how and, I And I feel like we can't really hold it against Mm-mm. them uh, because as before we even started recording, we mentioned that, you know, sometimes they, they come from rough situations too, you yeah. know, where they don't know any better. So they're just trying to do yeah. the best that they can with whatever that they yeah. <laughs> skills they were given. <laughs> I realized that when my dad went, I really realized he loved the best way he knew how. Were you influenced by your family at a young age to eat healthy, girl, no. good nutrition? Girl, no. My no? family is the opposite. They're the epitome of barbecue and beer on the weekends. Uh, soul food, especially in East Texas, my grandparents, um, collard greens, pork, all like they just, nobody eats very healthy. Nobody was conscious. And growing up, I was, I started really, really focusing on my diet in high school. Like I kind of started mm-hmm. to get an understanding of what healthy food was. I'd never, I wasn't a person that ate out very often. Um, I have never really liked drive through food to begin with. Um, and my brother used to give me a really hard time about eating healthy. I have a birthday card and he was like, just eat the cake. We're all going to die anyways. <laughs> And now he's the one calling me about, hey, Shy, my body's starting to hurt. Can you? Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. 35's creeping up, huh? So growing up, it wasn't a, a big thing for you, no, what you put in your body. No, when I was, I've always been conscious because I struggled with my body image. So oh, I've okay. always been personally conscious. I wasn't surrounded with that. I didn't have an example of what healthy was um, in front of me. Like I said, they eat barbecue every weekend. Um, my dad was the king of drive throughs um, alcohol. Uh, there just wasn't, I had to like ask my parents, can I have this? Can I, can y'all get this? Like asking for healthy food, you know, mm-hmm. to have in the house. So I was the one that kind of introduced it. And now my mom is very healthy. Vitamins, like she is, she eats very well. Kombucha, all this natural organic stuff. Yeah, yeah. now so. she has a whole different lingo of mm-hmm. kombucha. And- <laughs> yep. <laughs> I don't personally eat or drink I think that's the one that you drink that's the one that you drink like, yeah. yeah it's, I don't it's pasteurized tea yes I don't drink it but she does and she swears by it yeah she, whole new outlook <laughs> <laughs> so when did you get into working out how did that come about um I saw a picture of myself when I was 18 on a boat in a bikini and I did not like the way it looked I Why? Was like what was wrong with it I just looked very thick and just not in the right places in my opinion I was like because I've always okay this was but this was how you saw yourself and did you still have those issues of self yes being self-conscious yes 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 but I had also while working and I grew up in a small town so let me just you know make that clear I started drinking pretty early on I was like 15 when I had my first alcoholic beverage it's all there was to do out in Castroville like you go out to a party in a pasture and get drunk and you know do it again next weekend and um, when I was 18, and I was in the restaurant industry, and in the restaurant industry, I don't know if anybody's worked there, but you drink a lot if you're part of that. Every night after work, they'd be like, hey, you want to go here? And I, somebody's house. There was always alcohol available. And I was a drinker, and my beer of choice was Dos Equis, and I cover it with salt and tahine, you know. So I swelled up like a little balloon. I was just holding water, very puffy, um, not really. At that point, I really wasn't 
I was still health conscious, but I wasn't eating enough. So alcohol, and did you know that the alcohol was doing that to you? Not or did you not? It didn't, you didn't mind. I don't think at the time okay. I cared. I was like, mm, I'm whatever the time. Yeah. And then I saw that picture on the boat and I was like, oh no, we've got to do something. And so actually before I had any concept of really proper nutrition, macronutrients, you know, a whole food diet, my friend had reached out to me. He was doing Herbalife and I did it. I tried the little shakes. I never cut out food. Like I was still eating, but I was doing the little Herbalife shakes and, you know, doing CrossFit twice a day, which is not good for your body at all. But I was losing weight um, and I got very, 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 very skinny and I'll send you pictures so you can see for yourself. But it was um, my my bones were popping out. To, and I was eating. I just was overworking myself. I'd go to the gym. I'd step on the scale when I got there. And then I'd do 20 minutes of running at six miles per hour. And then I'd get on the Stairmaster for 10 minutes at level 15. And then I'd weigh myself again. And then I would start my workout, which at the time was Pinterest-led workouts, which <laughs> were not conducive of anything, really. Um, and then I'd weigh myself before I left. And if I didn't drop three pounds right then, I'd be upset and I'd get on the treadmill again. It's just very unhealthy. Very, it sounds it sounds kind of destructive. Very, very, very unhealthy relationship with food. Very unhealthy relationship with the scale, with the size of clothes that I was wearing. Everything. It was just a very unhealthy mindset. It wasn't until I was probably twenty two or twenty three before I really started to see like, okay, like you don't look healthy. You look sick. Like I had seen a pic again, a picture of myself really, really skinny this time. And I mean, my, my call, my shoulder bone was popping out. My collarbone was popping out. My head looked too big for my body. I mean, it was just awful. It was that bad. It was, it was bad. It was very bad. How did that affect you and your relationship with, with other people? I mean, how, how you carried yourself? I would, I don't even know where this confidence comes from. I've always been confident. I've always been I don't know if it's energy that I have or what, but I've, I've never struggled in like a public place. I'm, really? Yeah. As you, so you were able to hide it. Oh, absolutely. Nobody, anytime, even now, like I'm very much of a self-soother still. Like anytime I go through something, nobody's going to know. I don't really talk about things. I don't really, my boyfriend, just because he's there and I can't really hide it from him. But even then it's like, I, I've got this. And everything that I've dealt with in life, I've got it. But and I, now, very much so, I have a very healthy relationship with food. I have, I don't even, I couldn't tell you the last time I stepped on a scale, I look in the mirror and that's kind of how I, like, okay, your body's made it this far. It's going to take you another day. I have a very, like, different mindset than I did five years ago, five, six years ago. One of your posts, I think, that had caught my attention was, uh, it was a, it was a reel, I believe, and the caption said, uh, cardio bunny with, bad form who barely ate versus barely any cardio <laughs> proper form and eating more than ever. Yep. What was the, what was the difference? Um, and, and how did that difference come about? I have to give uh, credit where credit's due. Um, we even, I started working with Miguelito coach Miggy probably it was 2017 or 18. I had just gotten done with a somewhat, I started a prep with my friend Lexi, 
was a great transformation coach. Um, it just wasn't what I was looking for. I wanted to build muscle and stuff. She had me losing weight, which was great, but I didn't want to get skinny. I wanted to get strong. Okay. And, um, I was crying on FaceTime with, uh, Jordan Hudson, sunshine, sunshine soldier, um, Mike's wife. And he was in the background at this time. He wasn't even coach Miggy. He's just Mike, my friend's husband working at GNC. And he's like, Cheyenne, I will help you if you need. And so I took him up on it. And even at that time, I still somewhat struggled with body image, um, body dysmorphia a little bit to where my body was looking better than ever, but I was still being so critical of myself. And it wasn't until uh, working with him for about a year and like understanding like food is fuel, you need it. Um, And I I tell all of my clients, um, this is just something that I've made part of my like day to day is never reward yourself with food. Food isn't a reward. It's, it's something your body needs. So like these whole, I'm going to reward myself with this after my workout food wise. No, we don't do that. You need food. Like if you want it, eat it. Um, I always try to do something non food. Like uh, if you like shoes, if you like oversized shirts or something to make you feel good to reward yourself with, but not food. Um, and then when we were prepping, I had always had this mindset of, um, I'm never going to weigh more than this. Like when I was younger, I was like, I'm never going to weigh more than 130. Then 130 came and I was like, I'm never going to weigh more than 140. 140 came, 150, 160. And I was like, I'm never going to, that just had to get let go because I I started to realize like weight really isn't anything. (laughs) I don't know how to explain it. I, I felt better at 165 than I did at 130. And I looked better at 165 than I did at 130. And so that's when I had to like, like the scale doesn't mean anything in my opinion. And I tell all my clients, we don't like, you have to give me your scale weight every week, but this is not your measure of progress. Like how you feel, the strength that you have in the gym, the way your clothes start fitting. Number one thing is people's energy when they start eating right, when they're eating enough. The first thing that they tell me is I've stopped drinking coffee or I don't feel so tired in the middle of the day and things like that. So, um, I took that away with working with Mike too. Like I was like, I can't, I don't even know how I was functioning in the gym before. I wasn't eating as much as I should be, not even close to what I should be. If I could take you through my Herbalife journey, it was like an Herbalife shake in the morning. I had a Greek yogurt, spinach, and some berry shake. And then I had chicken and rice with some squash. I'm pretty sure those were the only three things I ate in a day. And then I was training ridiculous. And this was something that you self-administered to yourself or somebody else told you, this is how you should (laughs) do or this? Well, that was Pinterest. Okay. That's why I always tell people like, don't believe like especially right now tiktok is driving me insane because it's like people will go viral with like this little stairmaster hack will get you abs and did it pinterest did that to me too they lied (laughs) (laughs) they said that this yogurt shake was gonna give me abs and it didn't So like, like I'm still I'm still waiting here for the abs it hasn't happened (laughs) but yeah that's why I I tell my clients if they ask me something from tiktok I'm like I'm trying to help you avoid what I went through with using social. I mean, some social media is great. There's some platforms out there that are very educating, but a lot of them are just like, this works for you. And I don't think your Stairmaster gave you abs. I think in addition to a very good diet, you know what I mean? Um, there's just missing parts in a lot of these, these TikToks and Instagram posts that I don't think that people are aware of. Obviously, if you're not into nutrition and into like the anatomy of fitness, then you're not really going to understand it. You see this one thing and you think it's a hack. There's no shortcut. It's consistency. 
over time yeah, <laughs> and just doing it. It's, it's very boring. That's why I don't record my workouts. <laughs> it's the same thing for like 12 to 16 weeks. It's not exciting. It's what I need to do though. If I want to see changes, um, my food, um, I've been trying to get a little bit more creative for the sake of my clients, but I literally could eat, I've eaten the same breakfast for like four years and with the exception of, you know, going out to eat here and there, but I'm a very habitual person. What works works. And I've just, you know, tried to help broaden that with my clients. I don't want them to get burnt out. Me, I'm easy. Like I could eat the same thing every single day and be happy. <laughs> and that works for you. Unfortunately, there's there's some people who can't. Exactly. And they, so I've they're adapted. Like, you know, I, I talk to people who are like, yeah, I, I'm doing this fitness program and they get through their eight week challenge or whatever they're doing. Mm -hmm. And as soon as it's done, they go back to their old habits because they're not used to eating exactly. whatever that meal plan that was prepared or administered to them, you know, which is, Maybe chicken and rice. Yeah, chicken and rice. Boiled chicken. That's the thing. So I eat. So my clients, I, I, I literally, I'm, I teach them a little bit about like how to count macros because that gives you a little bit more freedom, and like everything that's on their plan. Like, please make sure you know you can add to it. Like you can, instead of your chicken, when they see chicken and rice, they think boiled chicken and plain rice. Like no, that you can change that rice out for another carb. If you want pasta, eat the damn pasta. If you want shredded, I eat shredded chicken tacos nearly every day. I eat hamburgers. Like everything can be modified. If you eat stuff at home, you can control what's in it. It's cooked with less fat, not fried. It's just like certain things. Like I, just, you have more control over what yes. you're and I putting inside your in body. My clients, I, I've had several clients over the last few weeks, like because they'll ask me, like, "Oh, I'm craving this." And I'm like, "Perfect, you can do this at home." Da, 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 da. They're like, "I just didn't realize how much freedom I had, and I'm still seeing results." And I'm like, "Yes, like a healthy diet doesn't have to be boring. It, it food is so much fun if you know what you're doing with it. You don't have to be Gordon Ramsay to you know how to whip it up. I use my crock pot. Like I'm not the best cook." But I have a boyfriend now who I can kind of test things on. I'm like, does this taste good? Does it? He's like, yes. And I'm like, okay, you, it's passed. Next. <laughs> I was just going to ask you, how did you educate yourself? Um, because I, I include myself in, in the majority of people who we want to live a healthy lifestyle. We want to be fit, but we don't know how to go about doing that. And honestly, once you start talking to me <laughs> in macros and all that fancy lingo, you lose me. It goes over your head. Yes. Um, first was just my fitness pal was a very, very good tool at the beginning. Um, I've taken several nutrition courses over my college years. Um, NASM's nutrition course was very, very helpful. And, uh, I just, it's a science and it's a beautiful science. And it's just crazy. Once you start learning how certain things work together in the body and then you start seeing it on yourself, my clients freak out when they see veins and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, it's your body being fed. <laughs> your body's working, blood's flowing, it's pumping, you're, work, you're using the food that you ate as fuel type of thing. Um, as far as like talking to my clients about it, it's just breaking it down. Like today I had one that was like, hey, can I have cheese? And I was like, it's a fat. Yeah, fat and protein. You want to cut the fat? Get a fat-free cheese. Because I have some clients that count macros. They're trying to learn that. And so we kind of just, I do weekly calls with all my clients to kind of really give them that one-on-one. -on -one. And by no means am I a teacher of it, but I feel like if I can learn it, anybody can. You just got to take time. It's, it's not rocket science. You know, some of the goofiest people in the world are bodybuilders that can count macros. And if they can do it, anyone can do it. <laughs> so for yourself, though, those courses that you took... Were, they were the way to educate yourself. Very helpful. Yes. Because, for example, uh, if if I were to say, "Hey, well, what do you think if if I start following a few 
uh, fitness coaches or something like that on Instagram and just pick tidbits? Is that going to work for me? Um, yes and no. Like I feel like everybody's body is completely different. Um, there's a few like staple points that I think people need to focus on, which is protein. Not enough people eat, not most people don't eat enough protein. To what do you think that is? It's hard to get enough protein. <laughs> I struggle with it sometimes. Yeah. Depending on your goals, of course. Like if you're not trying to build muscle, then it's not as, you know, as prudent as the other macronutrients. But for me, I want to be a full build, you know, muscular person. And so I have to eat about a pound of, a gram of protein per pound of me. And I'm 155, 160 pounds. So, so protein builds muscle. Yes. And Take notes, please. Protein, protein, <laughs> car, protein, carbs, and fats are your basic, like those are your macronutrients. And those are what we kind of go over. There's micronutrients too, which are just as important. That's your fruits and vegetables. Like you've got to get those in too. And I tell my clients, please have a colorful plate. Please don't ever cut something out. You're not a bodybuilder. You don't have to cut fruit out. It's a natural sugar. It's not, you know, something bought in a bag. Eat it. Eat the damn banana. <laughs> I have clients that have like, I don't, I don't even know what to call it. It's not PTSD, but like to where they just have a very bad relationship with fruits because of their prior coach. And everybody has their own methods and I'm never going to discredit anybody. But if you're just somebody who's trying to live a healthier life, don't ever cut out fruits and vegetables. Those are so important. Just have your amino acids. <laughs> yeah. Before we get further into the co uh, your coaching and mm -hmm. what you're doing now, I think it's always important to know where people come from and where you started. So I know that you said that you worked in the restaurant business, mm -hmm. but what were you doing before you started your coaching, before you started any of, of your other, before you quit the corporate world? Oh, this was PTSD for me. Uh, <laughs> I was, um, so I have been, as soon as I got out of the restaurant business, I got a very good opportunity with a company called Graystar. It's a multifamily management company. And so I was in the front office of your apartment building. Um, I started out as leasing and quickly got promoted to leasing manager, assistant manager, and then community manager. I did. I was with Graystar for five beautiful years. And then I left to go to the contracting side, um, to the development side. It was just away from mad residents. And it wasn't anything I did. It was just people can... When you're in an apartment, when you're in the front office of an apartment, I think you really... <laughs> understand how different people are and how they handle stress. And it's just very interesting to me to see the different. What would your typical work day be like? Oh, I had very, people love me because I was always the one that could push things up. But um, you go in nine to five, uh, you show apartments just like you would show a house. You either get the lease or you don't. A lot of paperwork, a lot of admin. Um, marketing was always my favorite part. I was always in charge of social media. Um, it was fun. It was just when you had that mad resident come in because they couldn't pay their rent and the assistant manager left something on their door and I'm like, it's not my fault. I'm just doing my job. <laughs> doing job. You're like, I wasn't the one to put it on your door. Or if maintenance didn't fix something right away or, you know, things like that. And you just have to kind of like b grin and bear it. Um, and you just don't know what someone's dealing with. Like you don't know what stress on top of it is like they're dealing with. So I think it's definitely brought me a new sense of like, I don't really get stressed anymore. That, um, that profession will definitely toughen your skin. Um, nothing, I don't know. I just don't get, a, I don't get stressed and I don't get offended. I've been called all sorts of things when I have, there's no reason for it. So I'm just like, mm -hmm, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, 
I left that, went to the development side, absolutely love that, did that for a year. And then a, a regional called me for another opportunity, but she wanted me back on site, which was, uh, she's like a mom to me. Cause I just, and this was all for the same company. No, no. I oh. left Graystar. I walked away from Graystar. I went to work for, um, Casey development and Baxter contracting. And then I went back for Cushman and Wakefield, which is a great company. I didn't leave because of anything the company did. They are very, very, all, all the companies I worked for are great. Um, it was just a lot of stress. People changed after the pandemic and I don't know what it was exactly, I don't know if it was because they were home so much, they could pick out, nitpick everything that they weren't picking out before. Um, stress of, you know, jobs, things like that, security changed. Um, so they tend to take it out on the office. Um, and it, it was, it was tough. Um, and I had, when the pandemic started, I told my boss, I was like, I'm going to tough it out. Um, because then we went on, we went for sale. And when a property is for sale, it is imperative that you have somebody to lead the team. And that's who I was. And I was not about to leave my regional who needed me at the time because she was so stressed. And so I stayed, we got the sale, we finished everything. And it was, I was going to stay a little while to see the sale through, kind of work with the new owners and everything. And then there was a shooting on my site with one of my residents. And I was just like, and it's not even, it was a beautiful community. Like it was just one of those offhand things. And I, I told her, I said, I think this is my sign. This is it. This is what's pushing me over. You're like, if this isn't a sign, I don't know what, what is. What I, that's what I told her. That's what I told her. I said, look, you have me. I will stay through this. I will help you deal with this, but I'm out. And she came and saw me the next day. And she's like, I almost want to write my notice on the back of yours. Cause this is ridiculous. It was just like one thing after another, after another. And it was like everything we did, it, it was like, it just couldn't, we couldn't get past yeah. it. Like, and it was like, and you're like, there is no amount of tough skin that you no. can build for this kind of situation. No, I was just like, oh my gosh. Like it was, you know, you build rapport with residents, you, you know, personal relationships ensue. Like it was just a lot at once. And I was like, I was already stressed as it was. And then that happened. I was like, I'm done. I that can't. was your, your sign. Yes. And I had planned to do everything like very, very smoothly. And then I was like, you know what? Two weeks, that's it. You got me for two weeks. I've put it off long enough. And so I left. And then of course I, as I mentioned before we started recording, I had helped a few clients before, um, through the pandemic, you know, people reached out to me, I need help here. And I just never marketed it. I didn't, I didn't, I don't know if it was like, I'm not confident enough or it was just because I didn't have any certifications yet. I didn't feel like I was, you know, able to do all of it. And we're talking about your coaching now. Yes. Yeah. So like right after that, I fell into that, the, the coaching. I was like, you know what? This is really something I, people are my passion. I don't know how else to put it. Um, everything I do is because of people and I'm not an emotional person (laughs) by nature, but I do cry when I watch American Idol. I'm very emotional with that. And then my clients, I cry very often. I have one client right now in particular who is <laughs> completely out of her comfort zone. And she's recording herself on Instagram for a personal accountability diary. And I started crying because I knew how much it took for her to do that. But it's because of that push that I'm giving her, that mental, like, you've got this to keep herself going. And like, for her to be sticking with something. And I have clients that are like, Shine, I've never been able to stick with something this long. I've never, that to me is huge. That's like, I'm changing the way you're thinking. And we don't do negative self-talk. My clients, you know, when they come to me, tell me all the things they hate about themselves. Let's make it clear. Cause this isn't fitness coaching per se, right? You mm-hmm. had a different 
description I have, for I it. have a very different approach to fitness. So I had the LLC at Cheyenne Maria Wellness um, just because there's so much more than just the physical aspect of when you're working out and eating right. It's really a mindset. Um, if you're not, I think, mentally ready to start doing things for you. A lot of my clients are moms and they have mom guilt. I can't you know, empathize with that yet, but I think it's hard for women to take, as, even just as a girlfriend, like you take on these household roles, right? And I, I don't, it may sound sexist, but as a woman, I clean, I cook, I, and my boyfriend is great. He helps, but it's just like, as a woman, I just do these things naturally, right? So if something doesn't get done as a mom, you feel like, like you failed. And so I always tell my clients, like, you are doing this for you. If you're taken care of, then you can take care of everybody else. But you have to take care of you. And this is a good start to it. Like I personally, it was during prep, but, and after my dad passed away, but the gym is like, I don't know, like you see how physically strong you are, but how mentally strong you are as well. Like when something starts hurting, you're like, no, I've got this. I can keep going. And you, you surprise yourself sometimes. Like you didn't think you could finish that workout, but you did. Or um, if you're stressed, like it's a really good like release. I've cried in the gym, um, especially like when I lost my dad. I was like, Ugh. like it was just almost like the only pain that I can control. And I was like, you know, it's bettering me. Pain is this pain actually comes out and makes me stronger in the end. That's how I look at even emotional pain. Like feel it, embrace it. You're gonna be stronger in the end. You go through things just because you're gonna come out on the other side. And so all of my clients really have a very good mindset now. I think I'm changing the way people think about the gym. It's not a have to do, it's a get to do. Not everybody is able to wake up in the morning and go to the gym. Not everybody is able to wake up in the morning and have food there to nourish themselves. Like find the good in everything. Like you woke up today. Not everybody had that luxury. You got, you had food in your fridge to make breakfast. Not everybody gets that. Like there's something good in every, every single day. And I tell a lot of my clients to Tell yourself three things you love about yourself. Not It doesn't have to be physical. Like, are you a good mom? Are you a good wife? Are you a determined person? Do you stay motivated? Like, good things. Like, consistently surround yourself with positivity. Because I even, I share this same story with all of my clients. I, my mindset about five years ago was a complete 180 from what it is now. I was a very short-tempered person. Things would just get under my skin and bother me. And then accountability. I hate the way that word gets overused, but accountability is huge in with, with your mindset. So it was a morning. I kept snoozing my alarm. I had, I was running late. I decided to wear white pants. I decided to make coffee and not put a lid on it and then drive to work. Then I got stuck in traffic because I woke up late. And then I was in stop and go traffic. And so naturally what happens when you stop and go, the fluid's going to probably fall out of the cup, got on my white pants. And I just remember how negative my mindset was that entire day. I was probably short fused with clients. I was short fused with coworkers for what my not waking up on time. Everything that happened that day was because I did not wake up. And now fast forward into the pandemic at the time I lived alone and I shake my creamer before I put it in my coffee. I went to shake my creamer and it went everywhere. And I just laughed because I was like, there's nobody else to blame but me. I can't point the finger, which as, as, as a society we tend to do, it's because of them I can't do this. It's because of them that this happened. 
And so I laughed and I cleaned it up. It was sticky, but I thought to myself, maybe this is saving me from something. Like found, found the good in the mess. There just has to be a better way to go about life than just being so negative all the time. Have you ever met somebody that was just so negative about everything? Oh, definitely. Yeah. That's I mean, I, and I include myself in that list. I mean, there's been times in my life where I'm negative. I mean, I'm guilty of it too. <laughs> like today I was like, I was telling my niece, like I was doing my laundry and I'm a very organized person. Um, I just had wrapped up my bed sheets and everything. And I did a load of my bed sheets and that was it. One of my pillowcases is gone. And it's, it's a new washer, so it's not like one of those, and a new washer and dryer, so it's not like one of those old ones where it would suck your sock up and stuff. There's no way to, and I'm like, I'm freaking out, and I'm telling my boyfriend, I'm like, I don't, like, did someone come in here and steal our pillowcase? I'm looking under the bed. I'm like, maybe I dropped it when I was walking. It is nowhere to be found. And I was so mad that I started getting mad at him about the way the closet looked. Had nothing to do with it. Yeah. But I was like. I um, just morphed into that. Yes, and I was like, <sighs> I was like, I looked at him, I was like, I'm sorry. This has nothing to do with you. But just like, and I'm guilty of it still, like I said, but it's like, it takes practice. And I tell my clients, fake it till you make it. And I don't mean buying fake chains, fake cars, things you can't afford. Fake something as a habit until it is a habit. Me, I didn't always make my bed every morning. I started faking that I was that person until I became that person. Same with everything else I do. Every habit I have, it wasn't a habit until I pretended it was a habit, made it a habit, and then it became a habit. Yeah. Yeah. I am seriously amazed (laughs) because your mentality is the most beautiful thing ever. (laughs) Seriously. I mean, your mentality is like hashtag goals, what we should all strive to have. I'm not perfect. And that's why I'm like sitting here trying to pick at your brain and like, so how do you do this? (laughs) So how do I get to that point? (laughs) Because it's hard. It's hard to stay positive. It's hard to think that way. I mean, I was mad. I'm still mad. I'm like, what the heck? But I mean, I have bad days just like everybody. And I share that often on my Instagram, like nine times out of 10, I don't want, especially when I have calls all day, I have calls, I do calls with my clients. And so Tuesdays and Wednesdays are my most full days. And if I don't wake up early and go to the gym, I have to go after. And after a long day, like you just want to kind of be home, especially when Nate gets home from work. I'm like, I want to spend time with him. I have to drag myself. And so I... A t- really a habit should take no longer than two minutes to become a habit. So like me going to the gym isn't really the habit. It's me putting on my shoes and putting on music to get me going. Like once I have my gym shoes on, I'm not going to kick them off and not go to the gym. Like just go put your shoes on, Cheyenne. Um, so I will literally the days I don't want to. And I, I think last week I had one of those days where I just, I did not want to, I had no energy, no will. I didn't even care. I was just like, no, I, I'm done. And I was like, you know what? Just go. I went, I sat in the parking lot for 20 minutes. And then I was like, you know what? Just go inside. Had one of the best workouts I had. What were you doing for those 20 minutes in your car? Just on your phone or? Sitting, thinking about how much I didn't (laughs) want to go in the gym. (laughs) I mean, it happens. I I really wish that I can say I, I, because I do love the gym, but I'm not going to lie and be like, I'm thrilled to go every day. It's a lot of energy, you know? Like, but once I'm in there, I'm like, okay, good. Like you get in your zone. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. I put on, you know, my hype music, whatever that is for the day. I listen to everything. So it just changes, but it just, it's something that's going to make me 1% better than the day before. And sitting at home wasn't going to do that. So that's how I look at it. And I feel like it's okay to, to I'm, I'm going to take a little moment just to share something with you just because it, it just came to mind right now that we're talking about staying positive and looking at the bright side of things and thinking differently uh, when something 
not necessarily bad, but when something doesn't go your way. Yeah. Um, so I just, I recently had a little, uh, a little, I, I guess it could be called a time lapse where I just felt really negative. I felt really negative because, uh, as you know, I mean, I, I have a, a coffee business. Mm-hmm. Things weren't going the way that I wanted them to go. And um, we were in a situation where we unfortunately, not knowing we, we made a mistake and because of this mistake, we weren't able to, to work, uh, the way that we wanted to work. So it just got to the point where I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just, I'm done. Like I'm, I'm so over this. I, I want to do something else. I'm done. I'm over it. And I'm a big believer in, in Christ. And I was just like, you know what? All that thing, all those things that I've been learning from, uh, since my childhood about, how God wants abundance for you and and he wants all these good things. I'm like that. You know what? That's he has his favorites like he has his people who who's going to he's going to bless and give all this abundance and all this, God, you know, yeah, all these blessings. And, and then there's some of us who he just kind of, you know, let's linger on. Yeah, just kind of so we don't, you know, starve to death. But um, and I, I think it was about two weeks, honestly, where I just I didn't want to hear anything positive my husband, we would even get into, uh, into arguments cause he would send me like a positive meme or something to, like that. Yeah, yeah. About yeah. And I'm just like, please don't send me this stuff. Like I, I wouldn't, sometimes I wouldn't even open it on, and on Instagram and he would get upset with me cause he's like, I'm trying to help you. And I'm like, I don't want it right now. I do not want to hear anything positive. I do not want to hear any of that stuff right now because I, I don't believe it. Pause. <laughs> I, yeah. Pause real quick. Um, this goes back to accountability though, right? Had you maybe done a little bit more research? Had you, would you do you think this is, mistake could have been avoided? No, it, it definitely could have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but I it, but the easily that the you know the human in me easily blamed everyone else. Uh, everyone else, yeah, and and Especially every other situation. Man. We were talking about that in church yesterday. And every other situation, everybody else's. It was their fault. It wasn't my fault. But um, I guess I, what I wanted to say was. I went through those two weeks or whatnot, and I finally came to my senses, and God is such a forgiving God and a loving God, and, you know, he's always waiting for his children to run back. I finally, you know, got over my pride, and I came back, and I'm like, you know what? I'm sorry. I totally messed up. I'm, I'm sorry. You know me. You know that I'm not perfect. You made me, and you accept me and love me the way that I am, and let's just, let's move forward. I'm <laughs> ready. Do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? And I'm sorry about what I said about you having favorites. That's so funny that you mentioned this because my pastor yesterday was like, have you ever been like yelling at God and you kind of like sit back and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. Didn't mean that. Yep. Yep. Been there. Done that. So I just want to say that if you're going through a a situation or something like that, you know what? It's okay to, and it's, it's human nature to be upset, to be mad, to, to throw a tantrum because we're all children at heart. Absolutely. Throw your tantrum. You know, I see my five-year-old and my seven-year-old throw tantrums every day when they don't get something that they want. They throw their tantrum and then we talk about it and they get over it and life goes on. Life goes on. So yeah, just a little tidbit. (laughs) And I'm a firm believer and, Everything happens, it's cliche, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And usually when you're set back, it's because the comeback's going to be better than the setback. 
It really is. Blessings can be uh, bless, uh, dis, uh, in disguises. Yes. Sent in disguises yeah. for sure. A setback. Maybe you just sit back and think like, how can I approach this to be better next time? Yeah. And here comes your next time. Because we're almost back to business, right? Yes. Almost. <laughs> and I, I can't wait. Girl, I'm ready to go back to work. I am not the type to just sit around. I mean, I'm, I'm not. I gotta I, do something. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, how I, when I had quit my job, I first was like, okay, you know what? I have, you know, good cushion. I, I'm chilling, right? And I was like, after the first week, I was like, what the, how do people mm-hmm. not, I don't get it. Like, how did I, I do myself, this? I was like, you know what? You can take two weeks. You've worked, you know, since you were 16, give yourself two weeks. After the first week, I was like, what do people do? Yeah. How do you not do that? I just didn't, feel, I feel weird without following my purpose or having a purpose or like, what am I doing? Like my house is, is it's that clean. sense of accomplishment. Yes, I feel for sure. I feel like when you do things like you feel like, yeah, that check off, like, oh, I did this. Good. Like, 2020 was definitely a, a life altering year for all of us, <laughs> but especially for you. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of, a lot not only just with with what you decided to go into uh, with your business endeavors, but with your personal life too. Yes, twenty twenty was, um, I guess, the most character building year for me personally. Most traumatic thing I think that I've gone through in my was life. Was this when you uh, quit your job? Is, or no, was I quit it before twenty twenty. I quit last year, last August. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so I don't think I, if that would have happened all at once, but I did get COVID right after that. So then I felt like, I really? Do, yeah, it was like a really, it was a really trying time. I wanted to turn away from God, and I did for a second because I was mad. But my dad had been sick. I don't even know how long he had cancer. I don't know how long he was diagnosed, but. I remember um, seeing him in May. I met him halfway between Houston and San Antonio to take him some mail. My dad's always been like a heavier guy, big guy. He's like six, I want to say six, two in his highest. And he's always been like 250 plus pounds. And so when I saw him, I looked at him and I was like, my parents had divorced when I was like 19, 20. And so he was dating another woman. And um, when I saw him, I was like, is she not feeding you? Jokingly, not knowing at the time that he was sick. And he's like, yes, mama, like I'm fine. And then that was May. And in June, I was in LA and he had told me he got COVID, which I was really worried about because he's uh, diabetic. And I was like, oh my gosh, like freaking out. He had gone into the hospital and then came back out and he was fine. And then July went by just fine. August came and I want to say it was the beginning of September because I was in Maryland at the time and his girlfriend texted me and was like, hey, your dad's in the hospital. And I rushed back home, obviously, and I got back and I couldn't get a hold of him. And then when he answered the phone, he, hearing your dad, the, the strong, I'm going to cry, um, hearing your dad, the strongest person that you grew up with, like he's like a superhero, um, he sounded so scared. And I was terrified. I was like, he, at the time he just didn't seem coherent. Like he was like, mama, I don't know where I am. I think I'm in a hospital. And I was like, if you're in a hospital, please call a nurse. Like uh, he doesn't have FaceTime cause he has an Android. I'm like, please call a nurse so I can talk to him. And he's like, mama, I don't think there's any nurses here. The time I'm thinking the worst, I watched too much true crime. I'm thinking this woman has him locked up in a basement on a bed. Like I'm thinking the absolute worst. So finally I get him to download WhatsApp on his phone. I guess a nurse did. Cause I had texted to him like in the, Hey, download WhatsApp. Got it downloaded and he FaceTimed me. And when I say um, his uh, his whole face was just sunken in, like 
skin and bone at that point. Like I could see his temple. I could see his cheekbone. His like, it was just terrible. And I started crying and he was like, I know mama, like I, I don't look good. Right. But she's still like very not coherent. And I was like, he was in the hospital. I confirmed that he was in the hospital, but, um, I was like, what's going on? And he's like, nothing. It's, I'm going to be okay. He's like, I'm going to be okay. And he's like, I'm going home tomorrow. And I was like, okay. So I was texting him and I was like, I'm going to come see you. And he was like, okay. He would text me back. And then I got to Houston and I didn't know where his girlfriend lived, but my sister did. And so we got there and, um, we, he opened up the garage and when he walked out, I didn't even recognize him. He probably weighed 140 pounds and I'm used to 250 plus pound man. I just hit my knees and cried. I didn't realize how bad everything was. And was this all pretty quick? Or was he was battling this for, for a long time? He was battling the, so he had, I didn't know this, but he had been diagnosed with cirrhosis. I think right around when my parents split up, he had diabetes young, um, it has run in his family. His dad had his uh, legs amputated. So you knew this growing up that he had... I knew the diabetes, yeah. So I knew the diabetes. And then my mom, um, after I talked to her, he had had, been diagnosed with cirrhosis, again, the alcohol, um, when he was like in his late 30s. And then um, the cancer I didn't find out about until after he passed. Um, The doctor actually asked me um, while I was... Or actually, it was the night he was going to pass. So I get there. And of course, me being me, I'm like, we need to get things in order. You don't look good. And at the time, I didn't think that he was going to go as quick as he did. Um, I asked him to ask his doctor if he was an option, like if he was a candidate for a liver transplant, because I was willing to give him mine if we were a match. Um, I was like, I'm healthy. I'll be fine. Um, as time went on, he, we took him, we took him to drive because, um, we didn't, we didn't have a very good relationship with his girlfriend. So me and my sister took him on a little drive and we just kind of parked and talked for a second. And, um, I asked him if he had everything in order. He assured me he did. And he was like, Mom, I'm going to be okay. It's two weeks. He kept saying two weeks. And at this time, um, I was like, okay, two weeks. Like maybe he just, maybe it's COVID in his head. Like that's the timeline he has in his head, two weeks. And so we left. We asked him if he wanted to come with us. He said, no, I just, I want to stay here. I was like, okay. And then my niece's birthday um, we were, we were at Dave and Buster's and my sister called me and, uh, or no, I was on my way to Dave and Buster's and I got a text message from his girlfriend said that this was now November 6th. Um, we were celebrating her birthday. I was at the gas station and she said, your dad's back in the hospital. I was like, oh, okay. Again, he had been in and out for a couple months now. And you're here in San Antonio. Yeah. And so I, at the time was like, okay, he's in the hospital. We'll just keep us in the loop. So my sister lives in Houston and so she rushed and the first time when I went over there and saw him, right, me and my sister talked about, my sister's older than I am, but she's not, she's a very emotional person. And so she told me, she's like, if it ever comes down to it, I need you to make the decision. And I was like, okay. So my sister rushes to the hospital because she's local. And so the doctor is telling us that he was literally fine talking when he got, was admitted. And then everything just fell. Like they actually resuscitated him. And so, um, the doctor asked me, do you want to place a non, do not resuscitate? And I said, let, uh, I was like, what's going on? She's like, nothing's like, we're trying to stabilize him to get him in for a, some type of scan. I don't even remember what kind. And I was like, can I have 10 minutes to cry? And I will call you back. Just like, let me, let me get this out. And then so I can think. And she's like, okay. So, um, I call her back and I'm just like, um, do not resuscitate him. If he goes out again, I said, let him go home. 
because years ago in 2016 my uncle passed away and he was on all these machines and my dad looked at me and he's like if I'm ever like that do not leave me like that and I was like okay you know um so I we left Dave and Buster's and I was just you know I, I felt it in my gut something it was just wasn't like the other times so we went home and the doctor actually called me on her personal phone she said I'm not supposed to do this but I don't think he's gonna make it and so it was like 11:30 at the time and I said I can I come I know you're visiting now because everything with COVID like they're visiting hours for the ICU just it wasn't like you can't just get in I was like, if I come now, will you let me in? And she's like, well, where are you coming from? I said, San Antonio. She's like, are you sure you want to drive? And then this is what I believe God had his hand on me and the entire staff that night. Um, I said, I'm going to come. Like, that's my dad. I'm not going to not say goodbye. And so I drove in the dark. I can't see to begin with. I drove in the dark 90 miles per hour. I didn't, I wasn't fearful of a, I wasn't fearful of anything. I just knew God was not going to let me not say goodbye. So I drove, I got there. Um, she came down and met me personally, the, doc, the head doctor at the time. She met me, walked me up and um, just let me sit with him for a little bit. And the other nurses, just the, the tenderness and peace that they all had in such a chaotic environment was just, I believe they were angels personally. Um, just so much love in such a stressful time. Um, so I spent some time with him. He wasn't conscious. Um, I don't know if he knew I was there. I would like to think he did. Um, but I just played him oceans on repeat and cried. And then I called my sister and I said, do you want to come say goodbye? I said, I'm not going to leave him like this. After seeing him, especially, I was like, I'm not, he's not going to stay like this. Um, she came and I told the doctor to just unplug everything around seven o'clock and I actually had a coworker who took her mom off life support and she had like a horrific story. Like the last breath was like a gargle almost like she, like it sounded like a drowning. And I was so nervous about that. My dad's last breath was so peaceful. It was like a, just, like he was just ready to go. Yeah. And I, I've now, after seeing that, I felt like he was there that time and just waited for us to get there to say goodbye. And then he went home with his mom and his dad and his brothers both of his brothers, his oldest brother is the only one that's alive. <laughs> what were, what, I mean, how do you, I am a suppressor by nature. Anytime I go through something very emotional, whether it be a breakup, this is probably the most, but I was like three business days. You better get over it. Right. And I'm not a crier. Like it's hard for me to cry and I don't know why, but it's very hard for me to cry. And I was like, I've cried enough. And Nate at the time think <laughs> I firmly believe that God puts people in your life for a reason Nate and I had just started dating in, at the end of, or the beginning, middle of September. So poor guy, we're like 60 days into this like dating thing. He lost his dad at the time four years prior. And um, the last conversation with me and my sister, I wouldn't have had that if it weren't for Nate because there was things that I needed to say. And Nate was like, you need to let everything out. Like you need to um, tell him everything that you're feeling. Because you know, there's, growing up you have qualms with parents they, they're not, nobody's perfect and so um we had a very good discussion I feel like I had the closure that I think most people would want um but I couldn't cry I just couldn't I'd be sad and then I would wait till Nate would fall asleep and I would just cry I'd walk to the living room and cry I'd cry in the shower I just didn't want to be seen I don't know if I associate tears with like weakness I don't know why I just don't but I cried a lot. I cried a lot and it didn't 
completely go away until I talk to a friend who has a gift. I firmly believe it from God. Um, she knew things that I don't, nobody, they, they weren't general statements that she knew. There's personal things that she knew. And I'm not a very open book. As you see from my Instagram, there's not much you can tell about my personal life. The things she knew from the other side, there's no other way to put it other than it was my dad that was speaking through her. And that brought me so much peace because um, nobody knew that I took my dad off life support. I didn't tell anybody that. That wasn't something that I was like thrilled to share. And she told me, she's like, he said you made the right choice. And that was like, as I'm, I was like, okay. And how did that make you feel? It brought me a lot of peace. Like, okay. Because I struggled with it. It's like I literally took this man's life. You know, like it, what if I would have let him sit for a couple more days and he would have come back. But even at that point, I'm such a logistical person. I'm like, he went brain dead for a while. Like what, what quality of life is he going to have? Was that the thought that was going through you between the time that that happened and the time that you spoke to this friend? Mm -hmm. That was your, I was your struggling. thought. I was struggling. I took his life. Mm -hmm. I was very much struggling with it. I was like, who? That's a huge burden. Oh gosh, yes. And you know, I, I tried. Now to I can understand why you were crying in the shower. I was just crying a lot. I was like, what if I, and then his girlfriend, you know, we didn't have a good relationship and I, I didn't want unnecessary stress brought into that moment. And I, I struggled with, I even looked at my sister. I was like, do I call her? And I just made the decision. I said, no, I'm not going to allow, like I had that conversation with my dad years ago. I know what he would have wanted and she would have fought to keep him on life support. And I just, I wasn't going to allow that. Um, for a little while I struggled with that. Cause I was like, I don't know if they loved each other. I really don't. And I wouldn't want to have been that person, but my dad and I had a very, very deep connection. And I just wasn't going to allow a woman to selfishly do that. Cause selfishly I wanted my dad here, but I wasn't going to have him one come back as a vegetable or sit there in a way that he wouldn't have wanted to be. So it was, it was tough. Um, but I, earlier I had said, I, I don't think it was before we started recording, but I, you know, my dad wasn't perfect. He loved me, loved me so much. Um, but he was a very old school Hispanic, um, very, I don't know. I knew he loved me. He hugged me and always told me he loved me, but he grew, he grew up without a lot of money. So when he started making money, he started, he was in the oil field. And so he was making like 200 and something thousand spending it frivolous, frivolously. He didn't have any concept of a budget, but he would always be there financially for me. Right. And I always thought like, maybe like that's how he shows his love. Then I found after my parents divorced, my dad, I found these cards. He always went out of it. I'm a, I'm a time person. Like with love, I feel like time is like the most important thing. Just can't get that back. I found cards, handwritten cards. Um, and I found one in particular that basically said like, I know I'm not the best dad, but I am the luckiest because I have you as a daughter. And I just, I'm going to cry. And I just started crying. And Nate looked at me and he was like, he loved you the best way he knew how. And that's when it clicked. I was like, he did. Like he took this time out of his day to go and pick a card for me and then write it down and then send that to me. Like I was like, we don't realize what we have until it's gone. Truly. I don't know how else to put it. That was always so, I don't know. I feel like judgmental of the way he parented until he wasn't there to parent anymore. And I realized like he really did love me. He really, yeah. really did. It was more than financial. He just didn't know how to vocalize it he didn't grow up in a loving home so he did what he knew how it was money which is the case of many 
uh, we'll say it and hopefully it doesn't offend anybody. Old school Hispanics. Yes, that's what, I was going to say that, but I didn't want to. They again. don't grow up in these households where affection especially, is shown. Especially as a man. Yes. Especially as a especially man. Especially as a man. And my grandpa, may he rest in peace, but he was a very um, stern man and didn't show love to the boys. Um, he was very, very strict and hard on them. And I think my dad did his best to not be that way because he wasn't strict at all. My dad was... I could ask him for anything. Same thing with my little brother. But um, I had always compared, you know, the way my dad parented versus on Hallmark Channel, right? That's not fair. You can't compare something. No, comparison's never fair to anybody. And so now I truly am grateful for the father that I had while I had him. And anybody that is struggling with any relationship with a parent, um, try to fix it. And, you know, there's only so many times that you should disturb your peace, but you only get one. We had uh, met at a at a, an event a while back, and I remember that we had briefly talked, um, and I can't remember exactly how it was brought up, but you mentioned something that I think really hits the nail on the head when it comes to being prepared. And I, I know you mentioned it a little bit earlier, and I'm not sure if that's where you were, um, if that's like the, the route that you were trying to take, where your dad kept telling you that, that everything was taken care of. And then, and I remember that time that we were speaking that you said that you had to do things. Nothing was taken care of. <laughs> yeah, that you had to, to mm. even start a GoFundMe page. Yes, nothing was taken care of. I don't know what in his mind everything was taken care of was, but um, yeah, it was difficult. Um, he didn't, he wasn't, like I said earlier, he wasn't very good with money. And at the time, um, he was, I think, I believe he was doing general contracting and then COVID happened. So that stuff slowed down and then he got really sick and he couldn't work. So I think, I don't even know, he was asking me how to do disability stuff and we hadn't even gotten to that point yet. So like his money was tied up and legally, um, even now his money is still in the bank. I haven't done the paperwork to get it out. There's just a lot of loopholes to get to unless you have stuff willed to you. There was no will. Um, there was nothing saying here, this needs to go here. This needs to be done. No life insurance in place, nothing. So at the time I was in law school, I live on my own. Um, I just wasn't financially prepared to dive out $10,000 to have a funeral. And so I had to start a GoFundMe. And and this all fell on you? Uh, Me and my siblings, I mean, me and my sister and my um, little brother, but my little brother is not in a financial spot to, you know, throw money. And my sister has several kids, like there's other stuff that she's worried about. So we had a little bit like stacked up, but it wasn't enough to cover everything. And so, I mean, GoFundMe was the easiest way, but that's leads me into why I kind of dove into the life insurance aspect because it was very personal to me and I love my dad, but I think it was, um, selfish of him not to have that. And I, I have to tell everybody like that has a negative opinion of life insurance. It's not meant to bring you back. It's not supposed to make that stressful and very emotional time, a little bit less stressful because that's money that's automatically sent out to the beneficiary. And hopefully whoever your beneficiary is, is ready to just pick a choose one. Exactly. I mean, choose wisely. (laughs) Yes. Um, ready to put that towards, you know, your final expenses. Um, cause it was like scram. I mean, we got it done. Thankfully, you know, I believe the world is full of giving and loving humans. I think there's more love than hate in the world. And so, you know, that worked and it worked relatively fast. We got, we raised the money and we're able to have a viewing because nobody was able to go to the hospital, um, because of COVID stuff. Um, so we had a viewing, a uh, nice casket and then we ended up actually, you know, he wanted to be cremated. We had asked him that. So we 
went with his last wishes and were able to afford that without extra stress. But it would have been nice for me not to have to, I hate asking people for stuff, especially nobody likes to do that. But yeah, that's, um, that's part of like, and I'm so glad that you're, that you're talking about this because especially in, in Hispanic families, it's, it's like, uh, it's something you don't talk about, uh, wills and life insurance. One like, of my friends. They think that you're coming of, at them or something in a friend, negative way. Exactly. One of my very good friends, he's a very loving guy, has a little girl. And I asked him like, how do you have everything in place? He's like, oh no, my family's got it. And I'm like, that is very selfish. First off, a child's not not expensive. They are very expensive. I said, then what about college? What about this? What are, you don't know if you're going to go tomorrow. Your child's four. You expect, I mean, I, a family will do what they have to, but why shouldn't you just have that ready to go? A hundred thousand dollar policy for a relatively healthy 30 year old can be 20 bucks a month. It, to me, it's like no brainer. Why wouldn't you want to have that money ready to go? God forbid you get in an accident tomorrow and it takes your life. Nobody knows when they're going to die. We all are going to, but you don't know when you're going to go. I've had silly things when they're like, he's like, it's, that was the one that he was like, it's not going to replace me. I didn't mention it was going to replace. There's nothing that's going to bring you back. There's nothing that's going to replace you, but it would be nice to have a little bit of less of a worry put on you, especially financially. That's like the number one stressor for people. Money. With that said, <laughs> Cheyenne can also hook you up with life insurance. <laughs> get you fit. And they get you well taken care of. Yep, and you'll get that refund. <laughs> if you, I think there, there's so many good programs out there. I didn't even know how many options there were for life insurance, especially being as young as we are. There's return of premiums that like you, basically it's a savings plan, but in the event that you happen to pass away before your term is up, you get the policy money. And if not, guess what? You've saved up X amount of dollars, whether it's 30,000, 40,000, and you get that in a chunk after your term is up. So they're just, it's, yeah, it's silly not to have. I honestly never even considered that until I became a mom, and I have no idea how we ended up at the office where I got my where I purchased my uh-huh. policy. But um, I had just had my son; he was a few months old, and I think actually I think my mom went to go ask something about her uh, house policy, something about her house insurance, mm-hmm. and that's when the the girl um, that was there helping her she asked me. She's like, "Hey, do you have?" life insurance and I'm like no I'm you know I honestly had never even ever considered and she's like um you have children right and I'm like yeah I I just had a baby and she's like yeah you should you should consider it and then she starts giving me all the information and I just went for it I mean she didn't really have to talk to me a whole bunch I was just like she she said exactly what I needed to hear right away she's like you have a kid you you need to put you know you need to put everything in order because the day of tomorrow, you don't know if you're going to be there or not. And your child needs to be taken care of. That's kind of how, I, my, I mean, that's my selling point almost is like uh, when people are give me pushback, I'm like, I was that child that didn't have a parent that was not prepared. Mm-hmm. And it was very tough. Um, so please just take care of it. I've always had life insurance. Like even if it was just through my work, like a $10,000 policy to just take care of the things. Um, it wasn't going to leave a legacy behind, but you didn't have to stress out about how you were going to bury me. God forbid that time came. So yeah. It's just one of those things. I think it's less selfless act that you could do for those that you love. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Looking back at everything that you've gone through, what what have you learned about yourself right now? I am undoubtedly one of the most strong-minded and stubborn <laughs> individuals that I know. Nothing really bothers me. I don't get bothered. Um, 
I don't really stress out anymore. Like with the pillowcase, I was just annoying. Um, but I just feel like life, uh, we were talking about it. Me and my boyfriend were talking about it this morning. Um, your idea of a bad day is someone's idea of a best, their best day. For example, he didn't tell me last night cause I've been an emotional wreck lately. I don't know if it's cause American Idol's back or what, but, um, there's a girl that he sees in H-E-B often and it looks, um, you could tell she's gone through some type of radiation treatment and chemo, but she's always smiling. And we have people out here about trivial stuff. Oh yeah. Complaining. Yeah. There's this, I was watching American Idol last night and this kid with autism is like singing and you, you think about children with autism, right? Like they have their parents there. This man is 28. One day his parents are going to be gone and he still struggles with the same things that a, a child with autism is going to struggle with, but he's out here and he's trying and I'm just crying. Cause I'm like, I know how much it took him to get to that point. Like everything that we have, like have gratitude for every single thing in your life. I just have a very grateful outlook on every single day. It's very r- rare that I wake up in a bad mood. Um, I'm not going to say I don't have bad days. Everybody has bad days, but just try to, you've learned to overcome them and how to overcome them. Yeah. Even on like a bad, I just kind of like smile and laugh it off. It's like, um, my little things, like my windshield, got chip a a rock flew up and chipped it. You know, it's, it it costs like 80 bucks to fix, but thank God I had 80 bucks to, to fix my windshield. You know what I mean? Like gas prices are going up, but thank God I have money to fill my gas tank. Thank God I don't have to choose between gas and food. There's people out there that are really, really struggling and like we, we complain about the most trivial of things um, and we just don't even know how bad things could be. But I think it's, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. like when you go through things, but I just feel like if you practice just positive thinking, really, like I said, fake it till you make it, just you can become that person that you admire, that inspires you, that motivates you. Just do what they do. It's hard. It's not easy every day finding... And I say motivation is a myth because I'm never really motivated to do it. I just know how I don't want to feel and I know what I need to do in order to not feel that way. So I do it. I know eating like crap is going to make me feel like crap. So I don't eat like crap. I know going to the gym makes me feel good. So I go to the gym and I feel good. Um, things like that. When you just associate things like, okay, if I drink my water, I actually feel better. Well, I want to feel better. So I'm going to drink my water <laughs> type of thing. Yeah. What's your uh, social media so we can start? Oh, people Cheyenne. that are, are listening to us can start following you. Um, Cheyenne, it's C-H-E-Y-A-N-N underscore Maria, M-A-R-I-A. And did I see on your on your profile that you are starting or... In, or <sighs> this is crazy that you're bringing this up. Yes. <laughs> my pastor actually was just like yesterday. He's like, um, I see something and I'm like... It was just, it's just one of those Holy Spirit movements in church. Uh, out of reach, I'm starting a clothing brand. I have postponed it long enough. Um, God spoke to me yesterday again. Um, it's the concept is fashion makes people feel good, right? So people are going to spend money on clothes. I have already reached out to the Texas Innocence Project, and if you're not familiar with what the Innocence Project is, is they're a nonprofit organization of attorneys um, that overturn wrongfully convicted cases. And they have evidence to do so. It's not just like, oh my God, you showed favor here. It's not like that. They have true, phys- usually DNA evidence to combat the case. Um, and they get felons out of prison that are wrongfully there. 
that maybe didn't have the proper attorney at the time or couldn't afford one. Um, because you'd be surprised how many people are sitting in prison for taking a plea deal that really didn't do it, but they didn't have a good attorney. Um, so I want to donate 10% of the proceeds to that, but then, um, I'm trying, I'm thinking of something like prison to life pipeline. Prison is not rehabilitation, unfortunately, as it's like played out to be like, oh, we're going to go to prison. You're going to learn your lesson. You're going to come back out after being in prison. Like (laughs) I've never been, but you see people return more often than not after being incarcerated because they're hardened in there. They have a certain way of life in their survival. And when you and get, it's hard to come out of that it's survival hard, mode. Exactly. You come into this world where you're not fully accepted. You can't get certain jobs. You can't do certain things. And it's like, if I do my time, why am I still being punished? So I'm trying to think of maybe, I don't know if I want to do some type of organization to help felons really be rehabilitated, like a halfway house almost to where like, okay, like if you were really serious about getting a job, like let's try to get you there. Um, cause I was doing, and I, I need to get back into it, but after my dad died, I really fell off of it. But in the midst of the pandemic, I had an opportunity to work with, um, youth felons and that was very, very fulfilling. Um, unfortunately, a lot of these kids just didn't have support at home or anybody that cared people, uh, parents that were either a single parent working all the time. So they didn't have anybody watching the kid or drugs were an issue, low income families. These kids were just getting in trouble. And, um, a lot of the ones that I spoke to were very, very smart and had dreams and ambitions and just needed somebody to talk to. I didn't, I think like once people are put in jail, they get labeled as like this. I don't even know. They just get labeled and it's like, they never get away from it. Like, oh, you're a felon. Okay, I've done my time. Like, <laughs> let me move on. But that's what, and out, the sense of out of reach is like, I don't want you, like, I don't want felons to ever think freedom is out of reach was the whole concept. But there was a um, mission. <laughs> Our, we will donate a portion of all sales to an organization that exonerates wrongfully convicted individuals with DNA testing and reforms our criminal justice system to help prevent future injustices. When they think freedom is out of reach, we are here to help. So, um, it wouldn't be a lot at first, obviously small businesses don't just profit like that, but I was willing to give 10% off the overhead and, you know, hopefully change somebody's life from a distance. They won't even know who I am. They won't know anything about me, but hopefully a little bit of money sprinkled in the right place will help somebody. You have a light to yourself that I don't think that it was just you, uh, were the one that were, was always talking to people and stuff like that. I think people gravitated to you. Yeah. You have, what did I say yesterday? You have something about yourself that makes you approachable, which is crazy because I have, uh, what's known <laughs> as RBF. Um, but yesterday I have a online, a potential online client who goes to church with us. She hugged me and she was like, it's more than like, I feel like you're meant in my life for more than just fitness. She's like, I can't explain it. I just feel like I can talk to you. And I've told her this ever since I was a kid, people have this way of just coming up to me and like, they gravitate to opening up though, like very personal things that I know about people. They're just locked away in here, but like a safe space almost like I'm not a judgmental person. I, like I said, I grew up a certain way. I've been through things. I've seen things. Um, and nobody's perfect. So I just, I feel like I'm a very, very... You're a rare gem. That's what you are. (laughs) Because there are not very many of you. 
I think they are. I just don't think they know how to like <laughs> dive into it. I think confidence is it. Like I feel, um, I faked that confidence till I had it. Like I said, I was, I, like I said, second grade, I was compared to like these, and again, I grew up in a very small town, predominantly white. So these girls are very petite and, you know, looked very different than me, blonde hair, blue eyes. And I'm this very, I hated brown eyes. I hated my brown hair. I just wanted to look like that. That was the epitome of beauty. And I was just like, and then I finally, I was like, you know what? My personality is up here. So, and for me, that's, that's it. I have, I'm genuine, Emma. The best compliment I ever got was one, you look like you, but also my friend, Marifer, the first time I ever met her soon to be husband, um, he was like, you were just unapologetically yourself. And I am like, um, I try not to be blunt to be disrespectful, but I want, I never want anybody to wonder if they leave a table, am I going to talk about them? And my favorite saying is like, if I say something about you, I will say it to you. I've never been two-faced. I've never been like, you'll never have to wonder with me. I'm very upfront. I'm the friend that tells you things that you probably don't want to hear, but you need to hear. Um, So walking through life, um, sugarcoating things is just not going to get anybody anywhere. It's not good for you. It's not good for them. You need to give people tough love. Tough love uh, creates tough people, I feel like. Cool. (laughs) for those that are listening Cheyenne are you taking on new clients right now I am I take on new clients sporadically um as they come to me I usually get my I'm willing to take on anyone at any time okay and are you still uh offering the life insurance yes at any time I'm licensed and okay you know insurance so if somebody wants to contact you what, what do they need to do um they can go through Instagram DM me um and I'll get back to you I'm very good with responding on there our Facebook, Cheyenne Maria Signs. Thank you so much. Of course. Again, I repeat, you are a rare gem. You have a light that attracts and gravitates people to you. I'm so glad that you were able to come here. And I'm so glad that you were open to sharing the way you are. Because this, this uh, your story is, is going to help. If it helps one person, hey, we've already won. Well, the one, I'm going to leave you with this. Um, I wasn't the first person to lose my dad and I'm not going to be the last. And you're not the first person to go through whatever you're going through and you're not going to be the last. So just keep your head up, keep going, put one foot in front of the other. It's going to be okay. The sun will rise again tomorrow. <laughs> New day. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Please uh, subscribe to the, the channel. Please share on your social media pages so that somebody else might be inspired by Cheyenne's story. Follow her on social media and stay tuned because uh, this episode has been brought to you by Savage Coffee. We will be opening this Saturday, March 19th, 8 a.m. The window goes up. We hope to see you there.